there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. And welcome to another episode of Correspondence. I'm Hannah Ray Lambert, and today I'm joined by the phenomenally talented writer who you should be familiar with if you listen to our recent sci-fi flash fiction episode. Her name is Laura Nettles. Hi, Laura. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. Good. It's a Monday. It is a Monday. Um, so you are one of the first people to submit a story for our most recent flash fiction episode. Um, and when I opened it, I was like, oh, Laura Nettles, like she's new. We haven't had anything from her before, which is really exciting because um, it's awesome how many repeat authors we get um, and how many friends we've made on our show. But it's always cool to get like stories from people we haven't read before. So I was really excited. And then once I read your story, Rust, I was like, this is going to be an amazing episode because it just like blew me away with how good it was and like the quality of the writing. Um so yeah, I mean, just thank you. Can, can you kind of explain how Rust came to be? Sure. So I'm part of some Discord writing groups. Uh, one of them is specifically for Toronto up here in Canada. So um, it's a Toronto sci-fi and fantasy, but there's also a subgroup in there for dark fiction writers. So I was like, hey, I like to write horror. And so I joined the group and um, one day we were doing sprints to prompts. And so we had one word prompts and the prompt for the first sprint was just the word rust. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I could do this. So um, I was like, what's something unique that I can do with the word rust? And I was like, rust would be a cool color. Um, so like usually you would describe hair could be rust colored, but it was like, what if skin could be rust colored and the nails are rust colored and the eyes are missing? I'm like, I'll just go from there. They're actual rust. Okay, here we go. So I wrote the whole thing in the sprint, which was 20 minutes. So I wrote it and did a quick edit pass in 20 minutes. And then we shared our stories and read them and it was great. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that you you stuck with what you originally thought of. You were like, what if skin can be rust? And then like that was legitimately the opening line was something about like my wife's skin was rust or, or I'm kind of butchering the opening line, but that was the sentiment that you opened with and you kept it that way instead of like trying to, I don't know, like back into it another way or just open with a different different kind of scene like I love that you went with your first instinct and just made something really kick ass out of it (laughs) (laughs) it was so fun yeah and so I just had that in my back pocket and I posted it on my blog and um I was perusing Instagram looking for people looking for flash fictions and I saw your post came up and I was like hey this happens to be a sci-fi variation of horror. So I submitted it. I think it was the day you put the Instagram ad up. I think (laughs) that, I think that made me feel like much more confident in myself because um, my co-host Tyler, he like spearheaded the last two flash fiction contests. So he collected all of the stories and organized them and did all of the, the legwork on that. Um, mm-hmm. So this time I was like, okay, I'll volunteer and do it because you did all the hard work last time, the last two times. And I was so nervous. I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be so hard to get people to submit stories. Like, how am I going to do this? And then first day I get an amazing story. I was like, oh, 
okay, this is going to work. <laughs> but that's really cool. Um, so this is like a writer's group that you meet with via Discord. Is that yeah. how it works? And then do you like read your stories out, lo- out loud to each other or does everybody just kind of mm-hmm. like read it? Okay, so you read it out loud and then get feedback, I'm assuming? Yeah. Um, so there are, for the normal sci-fi fantasy group, uh, there's a bunch of the dark fiction writers that are part of that group as well. And so every week, like two or three times a week, we'll have uh, critique partners, basically. So we will submit... Uh, up to like 2,000 words chunks and read them out loud to the entire group and then we the writers will be silent and listen to them talk about our story and have suggestions and feedback and then it'll be our turn to ask questions like was this clear did this come through and uh, any clarifications on the feedback so that's really helpful that's awesome had you ever been part of a critique group like that before no was it kind of nerve wracking getting into it? Cause I struggle personally with like reading my work out loud or even like watching other people read my work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I enjoy it because I usually write like micro fiction and flash fiction. So like a hundred words and thousand words. Um, so I have a complete story to tell and it's not just here's part of a chapter to put up for a critique where you don't have the entire context if you haven't been to every single meeting for the last three months. So um, I'm not that nervous when it's, here's the piece in its entirety. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Cause like, you don't have to rely on somebody knowing the the previous chapter, like you said, or, or, you know, their judgment of it is not indicative of your, you know, 400 page novel that you've been working on for years and years and you just bear exactly. the soul in 10 pages <laughs> so right now I'm working on a collection of my horror stories so um, I'm pulling together all of my micro stories my flash fictions and a few of my short stories because I'm actually fairly new to this <laughs> so um, the first time I ever wrote something um like besides when I was a little kid, but like the first time I actually seriously started writing was NaNoWriMo 2018. Oh my gosh. And then that was my YA sci-fi. And so I worked on that for two years. It's now permanently shelved, but August I switched to horror. So as in um, August, 2020. Yeah. Oh, wow. So no writing in like high school or college or anything like uh, and I mean, like fiction writing, obviously, I yeah, assume you no. wrote for classes. Yeah, no. Oh, um, my God. So, like, I had years where it felt like my imagination was turned off, and it was horrible. And, like, depression was horrible. But after finally, like, finding a balance of meds that actually work for me, it's like, oh, my gosh, my brain is functioning. I'm no longer in a fog and my imagination is turned back on. And so now it's just like a flood of writing. And so so it's been amazing. Without you being a writer back then, like how did you recognize that your imagination was turned off? Like how, how did you know that you weren't being creative in your mind? (laughs) Okay. When I was a kid, I'm the oldest of four. I would host Bob's talk show. 
with my siblings. So I would have an invisible microphone and we'd be on family vacations in a hotel room or wherever. And I would host Bob's talk show and I would host interviews with my siblings and talk about the most random things. And then I just couldn't think of topics to talk about anymore and I couldn't do it and I stopped and it was like my brain just I have no creativity left it's gone oh <laughs> my okay. sibling just thought I was being an angsty teenager it's like no I just <laughs> my, ba- my brain oh my gosh I okay I guess that is a good um sign that you're a creative human if you're pretending to host your own uh talk show with your siblings <laughs> as guests yes it was great fun I, I, I did stuff like that too. When I was in middle school, um, my best friend and I, we would make like random videos. We like acted out the importance of being earnest once. And then we did like a King Arthur story and made my little sister play act one of the nights and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. we were always doing silly stuff like that. Uh, but I always like grew up thinking I wanted to be a writer. Like I was always writing Mm -hmm. stories. My first one was a total ripoff of little house on the prairie, uh, but I was six years old, so I'll give myself uh, uh-huh. a break there. <laughs> but the first yeah. thing I remember writing, actually there's two. One was I was obsessed with Lord of the Rings. And so I was like, I'm going to write my own. And so like six pages later, just describing the horses. <laughs> like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> hey, that's a very Tolkien-esque thing to do. Spend six pages describing just one tiny detail that nobody cares that much about. But I loved horses. I'm like, I, yay! I love horses didn't go anywhere. too. <laughs> horses other alone was, do not a plot make. <laughs> yeah. The other one was basically a series of unfortunate events starring Captain Jack Sparrow. That is so an interesting was, twist. Yes. It was uh, six chapters <laughs> on the good old Windows 97, I think. Yeah, my first oh. um, like book it wasn't like novel length. I think it was probably a hundred pages or something when I was in middle school, it was on a floppy disk. So that tells you about when I grew up. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so NaNoWriMo in 2018 then, um, how did you hear about it? YouTube. Really? So yeah, there's a group called AuthorTube where it's a bunch of authors and writers who um, just talk about what they're working on. They host live writing sprints where you can write at the same time as them for certain time periods and then talk about what you wrote. And so I found some people and they were talking about this weird thing called NaNoWriMo. I'm like, what is this? Nobody's saying what NaNoWriMo means. What does it stand for? (laughs) I finally found out like five videos later. I was like, oh, National Novel Writing Month. Okay, I can do this. And so I found out about it in August of 2018 and came up with a story idea and did a plot embryo version of an outline where it's basically the hero's journey um but it's in a circle so you start at home and you end at home and um so it's like it's you what do you need you start your journey you go into the other unknown world um, you figure out what you actually need, have your change of heart and defeat whatever it is and come back home. Okay. So it's basically the hero's journey. So I had done all that and I made a, what do you call it? A board with pictures. I made a, oh, like a board. vision board or something. Or? Yeah. A vision board 
uh, for my book. So my main character is basically Moana. <laughs> and um, I wrote the whole thing. I wrote a whole draft of 51K in a month, that was, nano. Was it hard for you? Were you like cramming the last week or did it flow pretty easily? Uh, the first time it flowed fairly well. My biggest writing day, I got over 9K. Um, but that was because I started in my bedroom and then I went to my living room and then I went to the library and then I went to the coffee shop and then I went back to my living room. So I kept moving just to keep writing. Oh, that's awesome. Does that like help you stay focused? Yeah, it, it did. Unfortunately, it's just been writing in my house for the last year and a half. Right. Cause uh, I don't know if we mentioned it at the top, but you're in Canada, right? Toronto. Yep. So you guys have been like, of- very locked down. As of five days ago, it is now no longer illegal to be outside for more than just necessities. Oh so. my gosh. I, and eventually, I've been complaining about it here. Eventually, we will get haircuts again. But <laughs> I was just listening to a podcast with someone in uh, Canada and, and they were talking about the hair thing. And I was like, wow, I totally forgot that salons were closed for a while. Like, yeah. That's crazy. So you've been basically apartment confined this whole time? Yeah. How has that changed your writing process? Like now that you're not able to get up and move. So let's see. I, so I work from home. So I will work uh, my, my time in my living room. And then during the entire time that I'm working, it's like, I want to write instead. But then it's like, okay, it's time to write. Hooray. And then I'll write until like midnight. So um, it's not that bad. It's just, I can't do my crazy 9K weekend days anymore. So it's, um, yeah. It's like a slower pace, but you're still doing it. Yeah. I still do my pretty polished micro horrors in 10, 15 minutes. So um, I don't know. I just write to a lot of anthologies and submit them. So Usually I'll have something on the docket for the month. Like, okay, I want to submit to these anthologies. Therefore, I'm going to be writing these ones. And so I'll have a plan in my handy dandy bullet journal. Oh my gosh, you sound <laughs> one of so organized. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I didn't mention um, off the top uh, your, your day job. Are you still doing lighting? Yes. Uh, okay, so... Uh, speaking to the listeners now, this was like something that was totally surprising to me. You've been a lighting artist for like the past 10 years, uh, working on a ton of awesome movies, like uh, Resident- Not 10, five. Ten? Five, five years? Where did yeah. I get 10 from? Well, if you count college, then 10. Oh, maybe, yes. maybe you uh, buffed up your resume a little bit with the college years. I've done that too. <laughs> okay, so five yeah. years professionally. Um, and some of the movies are uh, Resident Evil, The Final Chapter, The Shape of Water, Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. Ocean's 8, and Hellboy, and then TV series like A Series of Unfortunate Events, which must have been awesome, uh, yeah. Carnival Row, American Gods, and uh, The Expanse is the most recent one that I saw, I think. Yeah, that's the most recent one that's out that I can talk about. Oh, um, okay. I'm, I've been working on a few more after that, but they're still under NDA, so I can't gotcha. talk about them much. okay I won't press you on those because there's so many other things I want to know anyway but like what exactly does a lighting artist do so um 
So for The Shape of Water, they had Doug Jones in the suit, in the costume for the fish guy. Mm-hmm. And they had him on set, but it wasn't exactly, it didn't look exactly the way that Guillermo del Toro wanted it to look. So one of the glass eyes that he, that was in the suit looked the way he wanted it to, but the actor couldn't see through it. So he acted the whole movie half blind, but the other eye he could see through. So we had to like create a CG version of the fish's face, the fishman's face to be able to emote, to be able to raise eyebrows and like have the nostrils move and have the blinks because he has reticulated membranes um, that go like an alligator side by like from left to right. And so um, we had to add all of those in CG. So we built a 3D model in the computer of the fish guy. And then I had to light this fish guy that has painted textures on him in the computer to match what Doug Jones in the suit looked like on set. So it looked like they were the same. So it was in the same room. So that the compositing artist could take parts of this render of my fish guy that I've lit to like erase parts so we can have the actor come through parts of it, but still have the CG movement on top of it. And like, oh, it was so complicated. Oh but my gosh. basically I just match creatures and set extensions and explosions and stuff to make it look like it was in the same room as the actors when they were filming. Okay, so you're primarily working on a computer then lighting yes. CGI, not like shining a light at somebody in a studio to make them look pretty. No, I'm doing the CG to match what they did to make them look pretty. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. How did you get into that? I was in high school and I sat myself down and I said, self, what do I do for fun? I watch movies. How can I get a job doing that? I'll make the movies. (laughs) So then I can see them before they come out. So um, I I was a strange kid. My favorite part of the Cinderella um, Disney movie was fast forwarding past the movie through the credits and watching them paint the backgrounds and do the hand animation. Like the behind the scenes stuff was always my favorite. And of course, Lord of the Rings come out and Gollum blew me away. It's like, what on earth? And Harry Potter with all those spells was so cool. And Pirates of the Caribbean blew me away with all those skeleton pirates. Mm -hmm. And so it was just so much of it that I could see. And I was super inspired. Like, I want to do this. So I got into a college that had a really good animation program and um, graduated through that. And then not many people were hiring lighters. (laughs) I was like, no. So I'm sitting there in the States, jobless after college. And one of my previous um, classmates was like, hey, I'm up here in Canada with a job. Apply up here. So I did. And I've been Canada ever since. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Canada has like a very booming film industry on like both sides because there's Vancouver, BC, which a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. I notice is is shot there. Like anytime they want to do something that's supposed to be in the Pacific Northwest where I'm from, it's usually filmed in Vancouver. Um, But yeah, Toronto is huge too. Yeah, it's the tax credits. Yeah. Yeah. I know it always annoyed me like, um, when I was younger and didn't really understand how that worked, I was like, why didn't they just film it like here in Oregon or like in this other place where it was supposed to be like accuracy, man. And now I'm like, oh, it's way more bureaucratic than that. 
It's so funny because they film a lot around where I live. And so I'll be walking down the street and there's a New York cop car. <laughs> it's like, oh <laughs> that's my not a policeman driving that. So That's hilarious. Yeah. It's like the LA of Canada. Yeah. And a lot of our compositing artists have to paint out the CN Tower from the backgrounds. Really? So much is filmed in Toronto that we work on. Because usually if they film it here, they do the effects here. Okay. Is that just to make it easier? I think so. So do you like ever end up on set or are you always doing your work remotely? I've never been on set yet. (gasps) Really? It would be so cool. I'm still a normaler. I still meet my super awesome actors through Comic-Cons. Oh, really? Yes. That's funny. Have you ever met anyone at Comic-Con who like you did the effects for their movie? uh no not yet no no uh orlando bloom run-ins or anything <laughs> like that no um i have pictures on my wall of me with actors from comic-con so i've got sean astin james and oliver phelps i've got um adam west and burt ward twins oh I my do. gosh i'm so jealous okay so part of my creativity is doing custom Converse shoes for myself. Mm-hmm. So I bought Converse shoes that had double uppers. So two layers of the top parts with laces mm-hmm. and I tea dyed them and did the Marauders map by hand on them. And so I had them sign and put their footprints on them. Oh my oh, gosh. That's amazing. So, so fun. For anyone listening, who's not a huge Harry Potter nerd, that's Fred and uh, George Weasley. And I growing up had the biggest crush on Fred Weasley from the books. Um, Same. <laughs> I, I, everyone always asks, they're like, why Fred and not George? I'm like, I don't know. He seems to say funnier things in his dialogue. So it was always Fred. So uh, James Phelps is the one who plays him. So I always had like a huge crush on him. Yeah. He yeah. Um, posted on Twitter once that he was at Powell's bookstore, which is like the famous Portland bookstore. And I saw it the next day. I was like, oh my gosh, I should have rushed to Powell's and met him. <laughs> no so I got a picture of me with them and so I brought it to work and had it on my desk and they're like are those your brothers it's like (laughs) I wish (laughs) that would be so cool (laughs) yeah um so your job just sounds so interesting like is it is it difficult like does it take a lot of computer knowledge was that something you had to pick up over time like it's not just artistry right like there's a lot of technical knowledge right so uh, I went to BYU to to their animation program and there were two paths to get in there was the art path and the computer programming path and I did the art path so um, a lot of my lighting is more artistic um, but we definitely need the computer programmers (laughs) like please help me so um, you definitely need some computer knowledge, um, especially to help debug and figure out why renders aren't working and why hair is exploding and not going on your character and just flying against the wall. And oh my god, that happened two days ago. Oh no! <laughs> like, I don't know why. You must see some like very funny like uh, effect goofs when you're working on stuff. Oh my gosh! Okay, so. In the Shape of Water, there's a scene where the uh, the fish man is eating something. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and it's supposed to be horrific and it's pretty horrific but I got to see all the iterations of the animation of like how puffed out they made his cheeks and it oh, was God. so stinking funny with like the the string of goo and the puffed out cheeks and he's just like I'm just eating <laughs> he like, just looks like a slimy chipmunk or something exactly <laughs> it's like that's not the tone we're going for with this horrific scene <laughs> so like just seeing all the iterations was so fun. That's and when you're in awesome. dailies in the dark room with them up on the big screen, uh, it's on a loop. And so it just does it over and over and over and over. <laughs> sometimes it's hilarious. And sometimes when you work on movies like the um, Resident Evil, the final chapter, sometimes editors, I think they hate artists or something because they make shots that are two frames long. So it's like a sixth of a second. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. And so when you're in dailies and you have it looping, oh it's god, like, it's like seizure-inducing. That's <laughs> like, horrible. What? what the heck? Is it more difficult to work on those like you know two-frame shots than longer ones, or is it comparable in like the level of work that you have to put in? Hmm. I'd rather work on a long one. Uh, the the bunch of really short ones back to back to back. Like, sure, you can usually copy paste your lighting from like each scene to the next one because it, the camera's just moving a bit, mm-hmm. so it's the same room. But ugh, it's just annoying. <laughs> it's like yeah. I don't like that type of editing. Like the the Bourne movies, like that's the edge of what your brain can comprehend because they're moving so fast with the the knife flips and everything. And it's like, if you blink, you're going to miss five moves. <laughs> right. <sighs> so I don't know. I don't appreciate that kind of editing as much. But going from a movie like that to a Del Toro movie where it's like a thousand frames for a shot, it's like, oh, I can breathe. Yeah, it's very lingering and you can take your time. And you have a lot more time because instead of doing six shots, you're doing one shot. And so you have time to tweak every little thing and make it as pretty as you can. Right. So you've mentioned Shape of Water a lot. Is that um, your favorite project that you've worked on so far or are there others that you really enjoyed? Um, I think it's my favorite. (laughs) I I love Del Toro projects. Um, Those color palettes are amazing. And I I do like creature features. Those are fun. I also worked on his TV show, The Strain. So his version of vampires. Okay. Um, So that was fun. But like, even before I got into the industry I liked his movies and so just being able to say I worked on a movie by one of my favorite directors is really really fun that's awesome were you always into like kind of darker movies or horror films growing up no really um when I was a kid in elementary school in school in class they showed a Goosebumps movie and it traumatized me so bad. Oh my gosh. My mom was like, you are never going to watch another one of those again, ever. So that was banned. <laughs> like, Oh dear. Yeah, no, I got scared from some things. 
but others don't. Like, I don't know, it's a, it's a give and take. So I, d I do love horror movies now. Like my, my sense of what's dark has definitely been desensitized a bit more over the years. Like the first time I watched The Dark Knight, the Batman movie, mm -hmm. I was like, this is so dark. This is the darkest thing I'm ever gonna see. Like they're putting bombs in people. Like, oh my goodness. And then, no, it's like my favorite movie ever. So. You're like, oh, that's that's a kid's movie now for that's me. Like, so tame. I remember when I think I was in high school or something when that came out or like late middle school. And the thing with the pencil just like permanently yes. freaked me out. I was like, nope, no more of that. Yes. And then I tried reading Death Note or watching Death Note um, when I was like a freshman in college. I was like, this is too dark for me. And then I tried a year later, binge the whole thing. I was like, this is so good. I love how just a year can make a difference sometimes. Like it that does. was me as a kid. Uh, the first time I tried to read Coraline, I was like, ah, oh, this yes. is so boring. And then a year later, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever read. It's so creepy. The hand was so creepy at the, the end. The hand oh was gosh. excellent. Oh my God. Yeah, I actually yes. recently uh, rewatched that movie, um, which... I'm not a huge like um oh stop motion animation person. Claymation. Yeah. So I was like, I would love a live action Coraline at some point, but I still love the story. So I was like, this is all right. Mm -hmm. Um sometimes I still get points in movies where I like pick my feet up off the floor. <laughs> like oh my god. It's so fun. Usually it's to really old school black and white movies with like Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi. Oh my gosh. So, like, I love old school black and white German expressionist films or classic universal monster movies. Um, I love analyzing the lighting in there. And I actually just wrote a retelling for the cabinet of Dr. Caligari that I submitted to the Monsters Unleashed anthology. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard anything, so I don't think I got it. Oh, <laughs> but, I, like, haven't, I haven't seen that movie. What's that story? It is the first ever horror movie that has a twist. The first ever with a twist? Yeah, 1920. Oh my gosh. So um, it is about a Dr. Caligari who has a patient who is a somnambulist. So basically a, sleep, a guy who sleeps all day. Okay. Um, it's a medical condition where like he's always sleeping. And so he goes to town and decides to put his patient on display in a circus tent uh, at a fair. And so he has the tent and people come in and have their fortunes told by the guy who's sleeping, who will wake up and tell your fortune and then go back to sleep. And so it's so stinking cool because all the lighting is painted on their faces, painted on the props on the floor, all the shadows are painted on. It's so cool because they like have no budget. Makeup, it's painted on? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's so cool. But murders start happening and they're like, somebody's murdering. And so they're like, it has to be the sleepwalker. And then there's a twist and it's really cool. Oh my gosh, I'll have to watch. So is this like something you can find online or do you have to like track down a copy of, of this old movie at like your local um, library or something? Was it on YouTube? 
I think it's on YouTube. Okay, I will um, have to look it up. Amazon Prime, one of those channels you have to subscribe to, has the German version, but somewhere else had the English version for the um, the the word cards because it's a silent film. Mm-hmm. So they have English word cards. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, obviously you started doing this job before you really got into writing, but has working on movies like this, um, like influenced your storytelling at all? Are there things that you pick up, even though it's a different medium, it's like film and TV, are there things that you notice that then you kind of incorporate into your own work? Um, I do incorporate things from movies, um, not necessarily ones I've worked on. Um, so I like to study old films, old black and white films, and get ideas of different creepy imagery I could conjure. Um, Or, let's see. Yeah, like there's, for one of my um, sci-fi novels that's on pause right now, is based off of what the Rogue One teaser trailer was. And what I thought the movie was going to be, and then it wasn't. <laughs> like, you had so much potential for this plot storyline, and then you went a completely different direction, and I feel betrayed. Are you a Star Wars en- fan? Your ending is still epic, so I love you. <laughs> Are you a-, a Star Wars fan, or? Yes. Okay. I haven't seen Rogue One, and I- I've got to admit, I'm not like a Star Wars person, so I have. I grew up wanting to be an X-Wing pilot and then third grade I realized that might not happen in my lifetime so I switched to Egyptology (laughs) hey I'm sure learning about Egyptology gave you a lot of like good ideas to incorporate in horror stories later on yeah and then I figured with radar and all that stuff there's probably not much left to discover in the sands of Egypt so I'll make movies where I can be an Egyptologist or an x-wing pilot so perfect so yeah have you ever like written a movie script or or anything like that because it seems like movies were your first love right I have not yet um since I've started writing prose has been my favorite thing to to polish and so you don't really get that (laughs) in movie scripts like all these flowery descriptions of the uh the set would not make it into the movie so <laughs> yeah, dialogue think, is not my strong suit so dialogue is so hard I I took like a um a script writing class once and it was okay like I didn't do anything stellar um because like you said like it's very hard to do descriptions in screenwriting um my boyfriend recently he showed me like a couple pages of like a screenplay that he was writing or something and he like very much had the flowery descriptions and stuff in there so like mm-hmm. the dialogue would be one line and then there would be just blocks and blocks of description of what was going on and I'm like this doesn't work in a screenplay like you exactly like, nobody's how do you show this like you've got to do the camera movements and stuff like that you can't like describe somebody's emotions necessarily like you have to describe their actions and I struggle with that too. So yeah, prose is kind of where it's at. Do you describe camera movements in scripts? Cause 
I, I think you're I think supposed that's to actually the cinematographer. That, yeah, I think you're supposed to leave that open. I think you're supposed to leave that to the cameraman. I think what you can do is yeah. like, you know, it opens on this scene. Like this is what you're looking at mm-hmm. and like cut to not necessarily yeah. pan. Yeah. Yeah. But also for some projects, they have us read the script. So we know what's going on before we start on the project. And sometimes these scripts I read, it's like, I could do better <laughs> this story. I'm <laughs> like, ah, how did, this doesn't even have an ending. Like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh, how, okay. You're like, keep it to yourself, Laura. Keep it to yourself. Exactly. Just get paid. Right. Do you ever get to read like the full script or is it just like you get yeah. to read? Okay. That's pretty cool. Do you like that? Cause like, you know, the story before it hits the, the screen. Yeah. So um, for Monster Hunter, I read the entire script and for um, Shape of Water, I got to read the script. Um, yeah, sometimes they just put it in places where I couldn't find it <laughs> on, the, on the drives. And so like we didn't have a clear, here's where all the scripts are. So other times they'd be like, must read the script. Here you go. So it's like, okay. But um, yeah, no, sometimes it's, it's nice to be able to see the evolution of a movie. Mm-hmm. So be able to see, okay, this was what it was going to be. And here's how they changed it. Here's how they revised it. And even when we're doing the effects, they're like, okay, we're taking this and this and this shot out. So Oh, dang. Or this entire sequence is now gone. So, um, hope you didn't like it. It's no longer being seen, <laughs> but cool. you're still getting paid. But you can't use it for your demo reel. Has that happened to you before where, like, you worked on a project, but then the scene that you lit got cut? So you were just like, oh. I've worked on pilot episodes too, and the show didn't get picked up, so I can never show it. That stinks. So, yeah. So, that's always fun. <laughs> Such is the nature of the business, right? Exactly. But that editing process lets you know that, hey, it's okay to keep revising your story. Like, keep editing it. That's keep true. Polishing it. Yeah. Even uh, Del Toro, you know, revises his stuff. So exactly. don't beat yourself up too much. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So it sounds like no movies for now, at least. Um, but in terms of fiction, so... Um, I know you've done National Novel Writing Month a couple times now, right? Yes. So you did 18, it the first 19, time. 20. Okay, so three times. So the first time, that YA novel, was yep. it? That one's kind of shelved for now. Is that just because, like, you're not that into it anymore? or? I think it has a little too much cultural appropriation in it. Oh, <laughs> like, no. It's like, darn it. I should have listened to the warning signs sooner. But No. It was a colony in space, but it was a Samoan colony in space on a different planet underwater in a giant snail shell that keeps moving along the ocean floor. Oh and murders goodness. start happening and there are ghosts and the main character has to heal souls to undo what a villain has done. Like it's really complicated and really fun, but I'm not Samoan and I couldn't find any Samoan sensitivity readers. So. Oh, that sounds like a very niche uh, group there. But if it I find is. any Samoan sensitivity readers, I will send them your way. 
Thanks. Like I've tried the binder full of sensitivity readers on Facebook. No takers. They're Is that not- a thing? Like, are there are there groups where you find sensitivity readers for whatever book you're trying to write? Yeah. Wow. Welcome to the 21st century. <laughs> I, I do like, I'm intrigued by the concept of a colony in a snail shell that moves yeah. along though. That's the very snail vivid. shell is so huge that it has stratospheres of coral reef along its shell. Like, wow. It's so fun. <laughs> but no. <laughs> so what was the second one then? Okay. The second one is an adult sci-fi and it is uh, three points of view. So this is what Rogue One could have been, where you have your group of rebels and mine are fighting against an oligarchy in a solar system. And so um, the main character and his brother go on a mission to take out these certain people in the oligarchy hierarchy. That's a fun sentence. Oligarchy (laughs) hierarchy. Yes. So they go on the mission. It goes wrong. And they get captured and brainwashed and forget their mission. And so it's the story of them having to like come snap out of the brainwashing, remember what on earth they did, come to terms with what you've been doing in the meantime, who have you taken out, have all this guilt. And in the meantime, there's also these gates that are basically like stargates, but there's Lovecraftian creatures on the other side. And these spirits that are like yokai come through. And so there are uh, a secret society that is doing things for these gates. And the, I have an Oracle Priestess character as well, who's one of the main characters. Very Lovecraftian. Yes. So she's trying to uncover this. And these people are trying to undo their brainwashing. And it comes together and it's just crazy. So oh that one has been on pause because... I just can't get through the first 20k. <laughs> oh, okay, so you didn't finish NaNoWriMo that time. Yeah, that one didn't finish. Was your problem like hitting hitting a wall in the story or like was it running out of time to write 1600 words a day or however many you have to do? So my favorite part is editing. The first draft is the hardest part for me. And so I just couldn't get the stuff on the page. Um, so I think I needed a more detailed outline because when I was drafting my YA sci-fi, I had a list of bullet points for every chapter. Like I want to hit this, 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 and this, and then I would write the chapter. And so I had these overarching plots and I had listed what chapters were from which point of view. But then all of the nuance, like how exactly does the mission go? I, I hadn't fleshed out. And so my brain was just like, okay, my worst sentence of all time is the assassination of the oligarchy hierarchy. Oh my it's literally pew, pew, pew. All three fell down. <laughs> pew, pew, I pew. throw in the towel. This is not my writing day. <laughs> that was not a 9,000 word day, I take it. No, it was not. That was a, uh, what? <laughs> I was, okay, I'm going to quit the writing thing now before <laughs> I do any more harm. Yeah. I just think it's so 
so interesting how organized you are with like bullet pointing your chapters, but you also excel at flash fiction where you literally just get one word and you have to write something in 20 minutes with yeah, no preparation. I totally pants my flash and my micro and my short stories. Those ones I completely pants. So I don't know what exactly it is. So this last nano, I was working on my reverse cannibal story, which is an adult pure horror movie, not movie, book. What's a reverse Words. cannibal? <laughs> Someone who feeds bits of themselves to other people Ew. and turns them into Wendigo-esque characters. Oh, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. So I, I like, okay, I'm going to pants this one. I've been pantsing all these stories. I'll just try and pants this one. And no, it didn't, it didn't pants very well. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't get very far. And so it's like, I gotta go back, sit myself down and make myself outline these novel length stories so I can finally get them done. Yeah, I want to read the reverse cannibal one, actually. Like, I'm very interested in this as a book. <laughs> yeah. Or as a short story, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there's something there. True. It sounds very like, um, like fairy tale-esque, like dark fairy tale, obviously. Mm-hmm. That'd be so cool. It is taking place in the future, near like sci-fi-ish civilizations of the future, mm-hmm. but in the Sierra Nevadas in California. So I was using Google Maps to track their progress from um, town to town to different mine shafts that are real and like tunnels through cliff sides and stuff. I was watching YouTubers of people rafting through these tunnels. It was really cool. It was super fun research. And then I just, I, I just need my first draft done so I can just start revising. Like, <laughs> ah, give me my prose. I love my prose. I love that. I feel like so many authors are like, they're not naturally gifted at editing, but you seem to be the opposite. You're like, okay, I'll write whatever like garbage and then come back and make it pretty on my second draft. Exactly. So, I mean, obviously it seems like most of what you do right now is, is short fiction. Um, is that all that you've had published? Like no novels published yet? Correct. Okay. Um, how did you get into like submitting either flash fiction or micro fiction for publication? So there is a YouTube channel called iWriterly where she used to be a literary agent and she will have other authors come on as guests. And she had this one girl called Sasha Black and she did a presentation on writing using the five senses. And it blew me away. I was like, I've been missing this my whole life. And she had written a book called The Anatomy of Prose. And so I bought it and I started reading it. And in her uh suggestions was practice this using short stories using flash fiction like practice your prose in a tight short story so you can get to it faster and keep editing it so you're not bogged down in an eight that 80,000 word story just so you can have faster iteration and you can have more practice so i started practicing with flash and i've just gotten hooked so. That's awesome. Um, so 
did you like actively seek out places to publish then like um, journals or anthologies or how did that process work for you? So I'm friends with a few authors on YouTube and um, one of them has a podcast. And so they were like, I'm looking for flash fictions to have on my podcast. So I sent a couple over. And so that was the first time I'd ever had a story out there. And so um, I was like, that's really cool. And then I, I, don't, I don't know how I got from there to looking, to looking in it, into anthologies. I don't know, it just happened. <laughs> but so You're involved with three anthologies, is it? Is- um, so I have, my first one ever was, so I turned to horror in August and then January, my first short story came out in the Shiver Anthology. Okay. Um, And then I have two in the Beneath Anthology by Ghost Orchid Press, two in the Cosmos Anthology by Ghost Orchid Press. I have one in the Mutation Anthology that just came out January, not January, June 3rd. I have one in Twisted Pulp that comes out, I believe next month. And I have one for Lovecraftiana Magazine that comes out next year. Oh, awesome. So it seems like things kind of ramped up recently in terms of like publishing. Yeah. That's awesome. So I keep applying to all these places. I keep getting rejections, but there are some acceptances sprinkled in throughout. Yeah. I mean, for as like recent a uh, a writing convert uh, as you are, I mean, six or, or seven uh, anthologies and, and literary or uh, literary magazine publications is not bad. Yeah. I feel like on our show, we've talked about authors who had much longer spells of rejection than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it- like I put in a, a thing for two poems I wrote in January and I still haven't heard back. <laughs> sometimes uh. it's just like six months of nothing. Okay. Whatever. Oh, I'll just um, post it on my blog. So when did you turn to horror? And I mean, it seems like, you know, you like horror movies. Why did you make that switch in your own writing? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Just one day you woke up last year and you were like, I'm going to write horror now. I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh my goodness. I mean, to be Um, fair, it's not that huge of a leap from sci-fi. It's not like you went from, you know, children's stories about fluffy bunnies to horror. True. True. I have written one children's story with a fluffy bunny, though, for my nephew. Oh, oh my gosh. That's so funny because I was just house sitting for my aunt and uncle. And I found this story that I wrote for my little cousin when I was, I think, 11 years old or something and it was about like a mole that lived in the backyard it was called molly the mole and i was just like looking through it i'm like oh my god this is the first thing that i bound together as a book and gave to somebody awesome (laughs) yeah mine's about a rabbit who is persnickety it's called persnickety rabbit so he doesn't like the long grass growing outside his hole anymore so he decides to go on a culinary adventure so wow yeah he goes down the lane to the orchard in the ditch and it ends up at the farm so it's like a Peter Rabbit meets uh Julia Childs 
he ends up a fat and happy bun bun so good yeah (laughs) how long ago did you write that uh that was for last christmas oh my gosh that's so fun yeah (laughs) was that difficult for you or did you just kind of like yes oh my gosh all of my children's story ideas my family was like that's too dark no (laughs) no don't do that like I wanted to do a retelling of Victor the Tim Burton short oh yeah yeah not Victor oh my gosh Vincent Vincent sorry yes Vincent after Vincent Price (laughs) yes Vincent Price the amazing narrator of the short um yeah so they put um, a squash on that though they they squashed it pretty hard (laughs) I was like darn it in the original version of the persnickety rabbit did the rabbit end up being cooked for dinner no no i have a rabbit so i didn't want to kill him off oh okay that's where you draw the line it's like it can be dark about anything else but not rabbits except i do kill off a rabbit in one of my short stories (laughs) you're terribly inconsistent laura (laughs) i am i am but that one's about a fairy godmother who's like a shadow person in um photos and is stalking a girl and asking her to make wishes. And when she does, it's in exchange for bones. So she'll lose a bone uh, whenever she grants a wish. But she didn't know it the first time. So she wishes for her bunny to be resurrected. So uh, yeah, the bunny comes back and she loses her ear bones. That's a crazy concept. How do you think of this stuff? (laughs) Um, That one I was talking to somebody in the YouTube comments about uh uh tooth fairies and they have a polish grandmother and they were telling me about like polish tooth fairy lore and so i got some inspiration from there so oh that's awesome yeah Yeah. it seems like a lot of your stuff has like kind of fairy tale or lore origins but then like that sci-fi twist or whatever like with the the shell under the water or you know the the cannibal reverse cannibal being set in the near future (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) but Wendigos are are like very like traditional like mystic uh tale-esque so you've got like that throwback there yeah so I also love writing Lovecraftian type of horror so my first ever flash was a Lovecraft called Cthulhu Rises. Really? And my second one was called Neighbors, which was the Lovecraftian creatures start moving into a neighborhood. <laughs> so, oh my God. Was that like yeah. half comedy or was that entirely yes. horror? Okay. No. So this neighbor, th- this woman is living in her neighborhood and she's like, something's got to be done about these new people who keep moving in. Like. These people that are walking on all fours and turns out like the the new homeowners association person is one of the fish people from Innsmouth. Like, oh my gosh. So, I love she, that. That's she so- ends up finally realizing the new sign above the street. It says welcome to Lovecraft Lane. So <laughs> yeah, don't want to move there, probably. Moves out right quick. <laughs> I think that's so fun. That feels like um slightly Tim Burton-esque because you've got like the mundane neighborhood details, like the homeowners association. It's like poking yeah. fun at middle class America or or just suburbia in general. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I we're getting close to the end of our hour here. Um, 
I know you mentioned that you had a, a story come out in an anthology just last week. What was the name of that one again? Mutation. Mutation. And then you've got another yeah. one coming out later this year? Yeah, Twisted Pulp. Twisted Pulp. All right. Anything else that uh, people should be looking out for if they want to see your work? Um, on my blog, just laurenettles.com. I have a bunch of stories on there. And I have lists of all the stuff I'm in. So you can keep an eye out there. That's awesome. So are you doing more, um, just more flash moving forward or do you want to revisit the novels? I want to revisit the novels. I want to pursue traditional publishing with them. We'll see. We'll see what's in the cards. (sighs) Publishing is so hard. And like at this point we've gotten to a place where, you know, there are some, some decent self-publishing routes. Uh, I think it's probably much harder to get your work in front of a lot of people but I mean it's such mm-hmm. a changing uh publishing landscape that yeah. some people do actually like end up with really good results from from self-publishing yeah I'm gonna be self-publishing my collection of my flash and shorts and stuff so oh that's awesome it's just hopefully traditional with the novels right with your self-published thing are you working with like uh, an artist or anything are you getting some creepy yes. art in there yes so I just commissioned a painting for the cover, the front and back covers. And I have uh, some black and white ink drawings that are like uh, of some of my stories that I'm putting within the text. Oh, so. that's cool. Are those uh, ink drawings that you've done on your own? No, I commissioned these ones too. You commissioned those too. Do you, yeah. uh, do you draw at all or? I do, but... I don't feel like it's that good. So, <laughs> so you wanted yeah. it done right to, to go. Exactly. That's so cool. Well, um, when does that come out? Not till next year. Not till next year. Yeah. I got to wait for certain stories to be out of first rights to publication. Oh, is that a thing? Like when you get it published in an anthology? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of your stuff. And I do hope that you finish a novel very soon because I think that would be so cool to read. (laughs) 